Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Um, well, this week we are going to talk about, I don't know if it's exactly a curse, but the curse of the cast of the um, hit 80s sitcom, Different Strokes. Oh. Rachel, did you watch Different Strokes ever? Um, it might have been a little before you. It was a little before me. I I remember it being on maybe like, I don't know if they showed it at, on Nick at Night or not. Right, I don't remember if it was like rerun. But I didn't, I, it was yeah. just a little before my right. time, so I actually didn't. Um, okay, well, I watched Different Strokes a bit. And so if you don't know, the series starred Gary Coleman and Todd Bridges uh, they played Arnold and Willis Jackson, and they were two little black boys who got adopted by the person their mom worked for. She died. She was like a, a housekeeper, I think. So the mom died, and then the boys who were in Harlem, of course, they got to they got to move in with this person, this Park Avenue businessman named Philip Drummond, and his daughter Kimberly. <laughs> Um, who had some great bangs yes and she had some really good 80s jeans too because yeah. I was watching a few things anyways the other characters there were three maids during the series run um, Edna Garrett who left at some point to start Facts of Life Mrs. I don't know, Garrett Mrs. Garrett yes. yeah so she kind of got her own spinoff series and then there was one called Adelaide Brubaker which I don't remember and then I do remember the last one whose name was Pearl Gallagher during the last few seasons they also had um, their very own cousin Oliver sort of moment. And that was when um, Philip Drummond, I can't remember if he married Dixie Carter's character, but she had a little red-haired boy named Sam who was super fucking irritating. Did you ever see Sam? No. He was like a little red-haired moppet and super uh, fucking, he was Southern too, so he had a really deep Southern accent. Oh, he was like their last, uh, he last was their, ditch. He to... was their last ditch uh, effort to kind of revive the series. Right. Uh, and it didn't work. So Gary Coleman was sort of like, the Shirley Temple of his day. <laughs> he was like super popular. He was child so cute. star. He was very cute. So he was definitely the breakout hit of the show. And he had like the catchphrase, what you talking about Willis, which right. I'm sure we all very, know. Very famous. <laughs> so the show was, you know, a pretty big hit show. It was also really popular for um, having like sort of popularized the idea of special episodes. And they would talk, they would uh, tackle episodes topics like racism, drug use, hitchhiking, kidnapping, and uh, other things. Actually, we're going to have a really good minisode devoted to this. So if you haven't donated to our Patreon, my, now might be a good time. <laughs> uh, anyways, it was a popular show. So the first sign that maybe something was not all um, good in paradise or perfect in paradise, I don't know if there's a right term to say that, was... Um, the child stars on the show started having some issues. Midway through season six, Dana Plato, who played Kimberly, Philip's daughter, she became pregnant. Uh, initially, she approached the producers 
and they were going to try to include her pregnancy in the show, but then they decided not to, and she was dismissed from the series and kind of came back a few times as a guest star. Was she, how old was she supposed to be on the show at the, that um, point? Um, 15, 16. So she was I still think. a teenager. Yeah, she was a teenager when she got pregnant. Wow. Yeah, so she was written out of the show, and she came back one to do another very special episode about bulimia. So that was like her one big hurrah, last hurrah on the mm-hmm. show. Uh, in the spring of 1985, NBC canceled the show, and then ABC picked it up for another uh, season, and then it eventually got canceled a year later in um, March of 1986. So if you didn't watch the show, you probably do remember that the, the stars of the show had a lot of legal troubles and just drama, and they kind of became tabloid fixtures pretty much within years after the show ended. So I'm going to kind of break down each one of their stories, the three main uh, child stars of the show, because surprise, Conrad Bain, who played Philip Drummond, he did not have any scandals. It was all related to the three kids, Todd Bridges, Dana Plato, and Gary Coleman. So first up, I'm going to do Todd Bridges. So I'm going to give you a little background on him. He was born uh, in 1965 in San Francisco. His mom and dad were both in the business. His mom was um, like an, a manager or agent. His dad was an actor. Most of his siblings and most of his family, even his nieces and stuff, are also actors. So it's like everyone in the family kind of does this. Uh, he had a, a pretty successful acting career going before Different Strokes, including starring or having a small role in the miniseries Roots, which was like a pretty big deal in the late 70s. Um, after the series ended was when Bridges started having some troubles. He got addicted to crack cocaine, which is like the most 80s yeah. <laughs> thing you can do, right? Uh, in 1989, he was actually arrested for the attempted murder of um, a drug dealer in Los Angeles. The drug dealer's name was Kenneth Tex Clay. I doubt he was a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> the prosecution accused him of shooting Bridges so it was just an attempted murder. Um, Bridges pleaded not guilty to the charges. Wait, the prosecution accused him of shooting this drug dealer. Oh, okay. okay. You said Bridges. That's why. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, he was actually represented by Johnny Cochran. Oh, so this wow. is like one of Johnny Cochran's first big cases mm-hmm. and much like very similar to like the OJ trial. Cochran kind of his defense sort of relied on bringing in an outside storyline as to why Like with OJ, it was like the cops were corrupt, so we can't trust any of the evidence because it's a systemic racism, da-da-da-da, right? With this one, he really drove home that Bridges had been driven to drugs by the exploitive entertainment industry, and um, he was molested and like all this kind of shit, and that he had also been unfairly framed. So this is like an early, you know, precursor to the OJ trial, Right. right? The unfairly framed thing. And there were witnesses that testified that Bridges wasn't present at the time of the shooting and stuff like that. And he was acquitted of the charges. But that sort of set him down this road as like this criminal ex-child star. He also, after that, was arrested a few more times for possession and concealed weapons charges. Uh, He also was arrested in 1984 for ramming into someone's car during an argument but after years of battling drug addiction, in the I think shortly after that, sort of in the mid-90s, he did become sober. In 1998, him and his brother, James, saved the life of a 50, 51-year-old paraplegic woman who, was, um, who nearly drowned in her wheelchair while she was like ro- rolling into a lake while fishing. So they Whoa. just happened to be there and she like 
accidentally started rolling into the lake while fishing. And obviously she's a paraplegic. So her name was Stella Klein. Stella. Stella. Uh, And her quote was, I was thanking God that he was there. And, you know, everyone had been saying nothing but bad stuff about Todd Bridges on the news and in the papers, but he has a heart of gold. And Todd himself said, after the rescue, we felt God had put us there at the right time to save this lady's life because there was no one else around. He did, did he get sober after that or was he No, this sober? was after he was sober. So sort of, right. you know. I hate, I can I just, just in a, a sidebar, because just about drug addicted former child stars or drug addicted um, people in the entertainment industry, there's nothing that makes my skin crawl more than making fun like the collective sort of making fun or demonizing someone's drug use. And I feel right. like it's only been in the last couple of years that people have sort of taken pause to that a little bit more. Right. Because recognizing it, it's not funny. To it's make not fun of, funny. Like Amanda Bynes or it's whoever. a disease. Right. Yeah. right. And it, it just reminded me that it's like the 10 year anniversary of like Britney Spears's blackout album, which right. came just on the heels of her having her own battles with mental illness and, it just reminded me how different it was even just 10 years ago, the media's right. narrative about that stuff. And obviously I have a soft spot, spot in my heart for crackheads <laughs> and cokeheads being a former one. Well, this was definitely the first time I remember knowing someone as a child star and then really watching them spiral. Yeah. Because this was like a big story. I remember vividly seeing the court, room pictures of him and like mm-hmm. the mug shots and uh all that stuff um but yeah so he did get clean he wrote a book called killing willis from different strokes to the mean streets to the life i always wanted a very inspirational memoir where mm-hmm. he talks about his drug addiction and criminal charges his uh childhood sexual abuse and also just trying to get over being identified as Willis and sort of find his path. He um, also started um, speaking across the country about the dangers of drug use. And he has sort of some moderate acting success. He was actually on Everybody Hates Chris. I think that might be his most recent sort of real legit um, acting role. He had some other weird sort of, I don't know if they're acting roles, but sort of celebrity type things. He actually defeated Vanilla Ice in 2002 on an episode of Celebrity Boxing. Oh, Celebrity Boxing makes <laughs> Do another... Do you remember? Yes. I... Was that with Tonya Harding, right? That was Tonya right. Harding and Paula Jones were on Celebrity Boxing. Uh, he was also on a 2006 episode of Celebrity Fear Factor. And then oh my that's God, what did he have to do? I don't know. He, but it did say he was eliminated after the first stunt. Did you ever see the one where they had to drink the cup of horse semen or something? Oh, no. <laughs> I think they I, never aired it. I couldn't watch that show because even the trailers it Ill. for it made me fucking yeah. ill. I always remember this one where they were eating like a bull's ball and it was like really tough and it was just like... I just remember sorry. the bugs, people being covered I could in never, cockroaches. I just don't need 50 grand that much. Yeah. He also was on... Do you remember the skating with celebrities? Like the precursor yes. to Dancing with, with the Stars? stars. Yes, yes. Um, and he was eliminated after the second episode... And I thought this was hilarious because he was using roller skates instead of ice skates. Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. So he got on the ice with roller skates? Yes, I guess. I have to see that somehow. We have to find it and yeah, post it. Totally. Um, and then, so here's a quote from him after all of 
this kind of stuff. The bottom line is I've made stupid choices, but I got my life together and that's the difference. I'm not the same idiot I used to be. And you know what? That's what it's all about, right? right? All you can do is not be the idiot you were in the past. That's growth. Yeah. So good for him. And good I, I him. he's doing well. Uh, that's, so that's a happy ending. This has a happy ending. ending. These are going to get progressively worse, <laughs> just so you know. Okay. I've put them in order. So from have, ha- I, maybe I should have stopped with a happy one, but you know what? No. That's not what this I had show's to, about. I had, to, I had to end on the... Uh, you'll see. Okay. okay. So next up, we have Gary Coleman. So Gary Coleman was born outside of Chicago on February 8th, 1968. He was actually adopted at birth. And he um, had chronic kidney disease when he was born. The medication that was used to treat that disease is what stunted his growth. He never grew past four really? foot eight. Really? Yeah. I always and that's thought also, it was a inherited or a... Uh, no. He was born with it. So he was born with a kidney disease. That that's what caused his cherubic look. Like it also caused... Like the way it stunted his growth and it's also why he had that sort of baby like face for much of his life like even until he well he was short too yeah he never he was really short yeah uh he actually he suffered from kidney problems his whole life he had two kidney transplants in 1973 and 1984 and he had dialysis his whole life so while he's a child star on different strokes suffering he's suffering through this so we mentioned already that he was this breakout star of different strokes. So he earned way more money than the other kids on the show. He, he was, was getting, the Urkel, except less irritating. Right. He got about a hundred grand per episode. Um, in Todd Bridges autobiography, he actually said, he actually commented on how unhappy uh, Gary Coleman was during shooting and that he was working really long hours. And despite his age and health problems, he was just forced to do all of this, yeah. you know, and he would uh, sit on the set sort of separating himself from the rest of the cast. So he was very isolated uh, child. And he was playing a little bit younger than he actually yeah, definitely, was. Definitely. Well, that's, I think that's pretty common with a lot of child stars. You right. see they have these sort of things that they were born with or something that makes them look a little younger yeah. than they are. Uh, and that's sort of why they're very successful early on. But then, they don't grow into an adult right? Uh, or a typical looking adult. Uh, anyways, so he at, um, in a 1983 interview, Coleman actually said that he had twice attempted suicide by overdosing on pills. Like that's how bad his depression was. Wait, he said that in a 1982? 93 interview. Oh, so this would be oh, like okay. about five years after the show yeah. was canceled or maybe a little longer. So despite having all that money, when everything was over, he had about a quarter of what he earned no after paying his parents, who were his man, who were his managers, and all of the other people. Three years after the series ended, he actually sued his parents and his former manager for misappropriation of funds, yeah. and he was awarded over one point three million dollars in that decision. So it was proven that they fucking screwed their kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, screwed their kid over, not screwed their. <laughs> I don't want to start naming more rumors. Um, But despite that judgment, I don't even know that he actually ever got that. In 1999, he did file for bankruptcy protection. And he blamed pretty much everyone for his uh, bankruptcy. And the quote is, from me to my accountants, to my parents, to agents, to lawyers, and back to me again. But it's like, what are you going to do when you're a kid? Yeah. I mean, so, like, along with the Todd Bridges... Um, I very, very distinctly remember like in the late nineties, 
a big tabloid sto- um, story was that Gary Coleman was working as a security guard at the mall. Do yes, you remember seeing that kind of stuff? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it was while he was working as a security guard at this mall that he had his first brush with the law. In 1998, he was charged with assaulting a woman that he punched while he was working as a security guard Damn. at a shopping mall. <laughs> I know. So wait, you're going to hear this. <laughs> I feel a little less bad for her, but I still don't think you should ever punch a woman. Um, <laughs> the woman was named Tracy Fields and she was a Los Angeles bus driver and she was a fan of Gary Coleman's. So she sees him at the mall and she approached him uh, to request his autograph. At the time he was actually buying a bulletproof vest. So I don't know what kind of store at the mall this is. Is that like, Whoa. Contempo casual. <laughs> Wait, he, wasn't he just working at the mall? He was working at the mall, but I guess he was on off, break. On duty. Yeah, off duty or on break, and he was at a store buying a bulletproof vest. I've literally never seen that kiosk at the mall. Was I don't it know. in Texas? Where I think was it was in LA. It was in LA. Where is the small? I don't know. Um, so he said no to her and they started arguing and that it was that that point that she started mocking his career and his downfall and Aww. saying kind of thing like look at you like look at where you are like you have nothing da 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 and he cold clocked her in the face a few times he punched her and it was all witnessed like this was not like downfall. he really did punch her yeah he fucking punched her um, he was arrested. Well, how and, big was this woman? I need to know. Because well, I'm going to tell you. She was bigger than him. Let me, I mean, come on. Right. So he was arrested and put on trial. Trial And during the trial, he testified that she was getting scary. The hair on the back of my neck was beginning to stand on end. I'm four foot eight, 86 pounds of nothing. I was getting scared and she was getting ugly. He did end up pleading no contest to the the um, charge of assault and he received a suspended jail sentence and was ordered to pay um, her hospital bill bill, which was $1,600 or so. He also was um, ordered to take anger, anger management classes. Coleman was actually really ashamed of what happened. Like this was not like, he was not like, he was proud of this. Do it again. Right. No, he was completely ashamed. Um, but people, seemed really intent on humiliating him. I think seeing that security guard, it was just like, I don't know why people get off on people's downfalls so much. Like, right. I, I get it when it's like, like if Trump had a major downfall, I would fucking, it would keep oh, me. It would be it great. Would, Cause he's a bad person. But to see someone who did right. nothing, it's like people just, I, I just don't well, have that gene, whatever well, it, it is. It goes back to any of the child stars or like Britney Spears. Right. Like we said before is like people ate that up with a spoon and it was sickening. Yeah. How much people loved, loved it. Right. And relished seeing this person, this human being crumble before our very eyes yeah i actually remember a few years ago when amanda Bynes was having that meltdown oh, I, yeah. so i was like assigned something to write about her and i said no i was like i can't i don't think right. it's funny it's like, not funny yeah and i remember that was sort of this turning point where i felt like it was sort of like unacceptable that was to, the turning point right. because enough people in our circle of i didn't see what was funny and it's like i'm not even saying i'm a good person but it was like i don't know like right. I have no connection to her. I'm not like a fan of hers. It wasn't like anything like that. But yeah. I just knew it's like this seems wrong to me. Like this is someone who's in trouble. Like yeah, they're hurting. This isn't someone who's just being a bitch or well, <laughs> do you know ima- what I mean? Like imagine being famous and having. We've all had bad moments in our life, and we've all done things we wish we could right. take back. But imagine 
having your worst moment, the worst thing you've done or the worst, most embarrassing, humiliating moment of your life being broadcast to the entire world. Right. Especially in the age of social media. Right. Like, where everyone has right, a hot take Where everyone take just on has it. their hot take and their fucking joke and da da da, da. And You become right. a meme. It's just awful. So in 2001, while he was still working as a security guard, because I feel like when that stuff got publicized, people would go there to kind of be like, oh, look, there's the like Arnold, um, whatever. Uh, he was videotaped trying to stop a vehicle from entering the mall and the driver made fun of him and then released the tape to be broadcast on like whatever tabloid type shows. Right. So it was just purely a humiliation thing. He was doing some on and off again acting, but very minor stuff. In 2003, I don't know if you remember this, he ran for governor of California. It was like when that. like 100 people ran. That was when Gray Davis got recalled. Right, and, and it, Arnold Schwarzenegger won, but it was literally like 100 people. There was like the porn star Mary yeah, Carey, Mary Carey yeah. was running. <laughs> yeah, so he was sort of one of the bigger names who ran for that, governor. That really felt like the ultimate, because I'm... I'm a California native. You were in California. I was then. there, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I remember when that was happening, and I just that really felt like the precursor to the Trump era, right? Because it was like a celebrity, and he just had the name. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the fact that I mean that was like the biggest fucking joke was that Arnold Schwarzenegger is right. the governor of California. He was the governor. Like, yeah, we were like, how did this happen? Right. And I mean, looking back, though, don't you think like, God, oh, what was I complaining? About? It was so quaint like because he's pretty liberal compared Republican to, compared right. to yeah. Trump. But still, I mean, it was like, no, it was embarrassing. It was so embarrassing. So in 2004, Coleman was back in the news because a character was based on him in the hit musical Avenue Q. And the character was sort of like used as one of these like i mean you know the musical it's sort of like yeah. a kid's show sesame street type deal but for and adults his, yeah but for adults and his character was illustrating that idea of like how these children's shows tell kids they're all special and then they grow up to become adults and they're like oh wait i'm just a loser like everyone else right like mm -hmm. so he wasn't happy about that and the producers said they initially wanted him for the role but that he bailed during discussions um at some point and they just recast it uh, but he wasn't happy about it, and he even threatened to sue them, saying at some point, I wish there was a lawyer on earth that would sue them for me. But he had no case. So that's why no lawyer took the case. I mean, yeah. lawyers will take any case if there's money involved. In 2005, he finally left Los Angeles and moved to a town called San Santaquin, which is outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Uh, in 2007, he met his future bride, Shannon Price, who was 22. They met on the set of a 22. film. 22? Yeah, so he's a, almost 40 at this point. They met on the set of the film Church Ball and married a few months after that. They had a tumultuous relationship, to say the least. Um, this was the first woman he had ever been with sexually. What? So he was a virgin until he was almost 40. Uh, and I saw someone say, and something I read, that he was twice her age and he, she was twice his size. I'm sorry. Oh my god. I think she was like a big girl, like tall and big. Yeah. I don't know if she was overweight, but, but like big. she was big she's compared large. to him. So, in 2007, uh he was cited for misdemeanor uh disorderly conduct after he got into a heated discussion with his wife in public. They had like a very volatile volatile relationship. In 2008, him and his wife got into some legal troubles following an incident at a bowling alley. What like, could that have been? <laughs> well, here's what happened. Oh. Um, a member, uh, uh, a person at the bowling alley um, 
said that Coleman's wife snatched his phone after he attempted to take pictures of Gary Coleman. Um, and then Gary Coleman and the man started arguing. And then according to witnesses, Coleman backed his truck into the guy's, into the guy, not into the guy's anything, into him, striking wow. his knee, pulling him under the vehicle. And then he hit like another car. He pleaded no contest again. So at least you could say about Gary Coleman, he never tries to like get out of it. He kind of right. just accepts it in a no contest kind of way, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was, you know, pled no contest to disorderly contact and restless uh, reckless driving. I love when reckless diving is used to describe when you hit someone. <laughs> like it was not an accident. <laughs> reckless driving. Right. Uh, he was fined like a hundred dollars, and then I think he was sued uh, a few years after that um, for an undisclosed amount. In May of two thousand and eight, him and his wife made a, an appearance on the show Divorce Court <laughs> to air out their differences and try to like get back on track, to get their marriage back on track. Yikes. Uh, it did not work. I don't know how successful Divorce Court is. Did you ever watch that show? I, I never think watched I've any ever of seen those it. judge I, mean, I remember shows. it. Yeah, I didn't either. Um, but despite that appearance, they did end up getting divorced uh, in August of 2008, so just a few months later, and they cited irreconcilable differences. Um, Coleman actually filed a restraining order against Shannon after they divorced, but then they ended up living together after the divorce. In 2009, they were involved in another domestic um, dispute, and Price, the wife, was actually arrested for domestic violence against Coleman, and they were both cited for uh, disorderly conduct. So in 2010, Coleman was arrested once more for an outstanding domestic violence domestic assault warrant and booked in the Utah County jail. And I feel like that might be the famous mugshot of him. Yes, probably. Um, Cause I don't know that he was ever given a mugshot for the other things, but I'm not sure. Cause I definitely remember this one. He was older at this mm-hmm. point. Um, he was in really bad health at this time and it kept deteriorating. Um, his finances were really fucked also. And he started doing things to kind of trade on his childhood fame to earn money. One of the things he did was he tried to auction his, a pair of his pants on eBay and the bids went up to like $400,000, but they were all joke bids. Oh. And then Jimmy Kimmel actually ended up buying the pants for $500 and he had hung them in the rafters of his TV studio. So I guess it's a good thing. Like it was sweet, but $500 seems very inconsequential, right? Wait, but $500? Yeah, he get, he bought the pants for $500 almost to save face, like help Gary Kelman save face. Like, because the, well, the bids were like $400,000. Yeah, but they were all fake. Like people were just right, bidding. Right, I get that. But Jimmy Kimmel should have just matched the bid. Well, I don't know. You talked to Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> I think Jimmy Kimmel has enough money to But pay. maybe not then. Did he have his... Did he have his talk show Wait, in 2008? 2008? He had the man show before that. Okay. He was a successful guy. I mean, you could take it as a bad thing or a good Maybe thing, I'll I guess. Maybe I'll tweet him later. Why did <laughs> yeah. he give Gary Coleman the $500,000? Uh, this one kind of is sad, but sort of funny to me. He also participated in a movie called Midgets versus Mascots. That was kind of like an Olympics pitting short people against sports mascots. This is very anti-PC. Yeah. Uh, hilariously enough... Gary Coleman was not thrilled <laughs> with the result of this movie. Duh. Uh, he is quoted as saying, I don't like it when small people are made fun of. But it's like, well, what were you thinking <laughs> when you did a movie called Midgets versus Mascots? Like, I mean, it doesn't really. I mean, maybe they changed the title last minute. I, I just don't know. 
but you know, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? In May of 2010, Coleman actually hit his head after suffering a seizure and falling down the stairs. He was hospitalized after that. Um, Although he was initially conscious, he eventually fell into a coma and was placed on life support, never recovering. He died at 42, age 42, on May 28, 2010. His ex-wife is actually the one who gave him gave the okay to take him off of life support, and the tabloids obviously tabloids had a field day with this. There was even um, that newspaper, The Globe, which is that a UK yeah, tabloid? It is, okay, I think. they published a picture of her, which clearly she gave to them, of her sitting next to him with while he was incubated in a coma, holding his hand, and then they had the headline. I'm sure she didn't approve of this. That said, it was murder. Right. But the hospital uh, released a statement saying that he had actually given her permission to make medical decisions for him initially when he got into the hospital. So everything was copacetic and his death was ruled accidental. So it was not murder. But this she was still. from him hitting his head. He basically had a seizure for some reason and fell and hit his head because he fell down the stairs. So it was like, an, it wasn't even related to his kidney disease, but wow. I do think he was in bad health. Yeah, because of all of sounds that. like it. Yeah, but she is garbage still, so don't feel, you know, she didn't kill him, but she is garbage. She did the absolute yeah. least. She uh, actually sued whatever estate he might have had left, saying that she was his common-law wife because they did live together several years after the divorce. But the judge ruled against her after hearing evidence that she had had numerous affairs while they were living together during that time, that she had also physically abused him in public, led him around by the hand like a child and displayed no physical affection toward him in front of anyone, which is so fucking sad. Oh man. Um, the last tidbit I'm going to give that also made me sad from, for some reason, but it did bring him joy. So maybe I'm just a bitch. He was an avid model railroad collector and there Aww. are pictures of him i have seen where he's like in the in the, the stripes hat. like the conductor's hat the blue and white stripes so that makes me really sad it makes me really sad too but it also makes me happy that he had it's not like a sad like oh you're pathetic for being into model right. trains i just think it's so it's so sweet and it just like i i feel like this guy just wanted to have a normal life right and he it's, couldn't escape it. It's like the classic. It's like any. And his look, I think, made it really hard for him to kind of blend yeah, in. Yeah, because you know what I mean. A, he had a medical condition, and like, well, and he just looked the same. Like when you see pictures of up. him, he looks exactly like he does look older towards the end. But like but he still looks still, like a child. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing mint mobile unlimited premium wireless ready to get 30 30 ready get 30 ready get 20 20 20 ready get 20 20 ready get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month so give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com okay so now we're going to move to move on to the last uh child dana plato who i affectionately am considering the tonya harding of this group because they have some similar things i was gonna mention her bangs oh right her hair the style i mean i wouldn't be surprised if tonya harding like admired dana plato's style they have a similar style because it's like it definitely seems like 
Tonya Harding is like the trailer trash version of like trying to imitate Kimberly Drummond, like that totally. style with the winged hair and the tight jeans and like the whatever she, well, they were both, blouses. They were both teenagers during yeah, the same time. Right. Um, so she was born Dana Michelle Strain on November 7th, 1964 to an unwed teenage mother who already had an 18 month old baby when Dana was born. When she was seven months old, the mom gave her up for adoption, and she was adopted by Dean and Florine Plato, and she grew up in the Valley. Uh, her parents actually got divorced when she was three years old, and her mom put her out on the child actor circuit from a very young age. Uh, she was actually in over 100 commercials before she got on different strokes, and she was even offered the part of um, Reagan in The Exorcist, but her mom nixed it. Whoa. So she she like had the part and her mom Whoa. turned it down. Yeah. Wow. I would be mad at mom and be like, think of those residual checks we <laughs> right, still be getting. Right. Um, here's like another connection to Tonya Harding. Plato was also um a really good figure skater and that she actually Weird. was training to be on an Olympic team. Like that was what she really wanted to do. Uh and then she got the role of Kimberly Drummond on different screens different strokes and her mom was like nah you have to <laughs> go earn some money yeah um so she you know was that was a really successful gig she didn't get gary coleman money but she got about twenty five thousand dollars an episode which i would fucking take even Fuck. today right yeah. um but her life really started falling apart during the series uh she started smoking pot drinking she moved up to cocaine eventually and she actually at the age of 14 had an um she od'd on valium and then I mentioned earlier, she became pregnant midway through season six. And um, I think I, earlier I said the pregnancy, they thought of writing it in and then they ended up not doing it. Part of that was also because she had already done so much fucked up shit. Yeah. It was like, what are we? She's not worth the effort. Basically, yeah. she's not wholesome. It's going to ruin the show's image. Da, 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 da. So in 1984, she married the father of the child. His name is Len Lanny Lambert. He was a musician. So we all know what, <laughs> what's going on there. And they had their son, Tyler, um, who was born on July 2nd, 1984. She did try to move on. I think I mentioned before, she did kind of have some guest spots on the show for the last two seasons, including the bulimia ep episode. But basically at some point she's like, you know what? I'm, I'm moving past my, my child star days and yeah. I'm going to start um, moving into adult roles and you know, what, when you're thinking I want to be taken seriously as an actress, what do you do? You go get implants and you model for Playboy, which is what Dana did in June of 1989. She modeled for a Playboy pictorial, and I think it was a pretty big thing because it was like a child star posing nude. Yeah. It did not help her acting career at all, unfortunately. She um, had to model naked for Vanity Fair and <laughs> the implants. <laughs> exactly. Duh. Yes. Make it artsy heroin chic totally so she ended up separating from lambert um the same week her mother died of scleroderma scleroderma which is a really horrible painful disease mm -hmm. it's like an autoimmune right um it was at that time she she assigned the power of attorney over to an accountant who disappeared with most of her money uh leaving her with very little of the money she earned during her tv fame days um and then after her divorce, she actually lost custody of her son because she was really 
spiraling into a drug addiction yeah. at that point and alcohol too. I think the alcohol was almost worse, but mm-hmm. she did do drugs as well. She was given visitation rights, but she ended up moving to Vegas. I don't know, which, which never seems like a good sign to me when you're spiraling out of control to move to Vegas. She was really poor. She was unemployed. Uh, it was at this point, this is also a tabloid story. I remember when I was young, she started working at a dry cleaning store in Vegas. And this um, is in the nineties. Yeah. Early nineties. Uh, and actually customers reported that she was very down to earth and like a cool chick. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, obviously the national Enquirer was there like fucking getting these stories. Ugh. Like let people, let a bitch live. Um, on February 28th, 1991, Dana actually robbed a video store. She walked into a video store with a pellet gun and demanded, you know, money from the cash register from the clerk. The clerk actually called 911 and said, I've just been robbed by the girl who played Kimberly on different strokes. <laughs> Can you even imagine that happening? Awesome. Right. 15 minutes after the rob- robbery, she came back to the scene because she forgot her glasses. <laughs> What kind of glasses were they? Were Just they- her like prescription glasses, but she was probably fucking on drugs. She was on ways. drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so she, the cops were actually there and she came back and obviously it's like, there's Kimberly from That's different strokes. So classic. And she got arrested. The robbery, all she got from that robbery was $164. Well, that's what I was going to say. You're in Vegas and you're robbing a video right. store. What well, it's not doing? like she's going to do a casino heist. I know she's not going to do a casino <laughs> heist, but, you know, rob rob a place. There's other places you right, can rob. Right, a restaurant or something. That yeah. you take in a lot more money. Right. That's why she had to have right. been fucked up. That's not smart criminal thinking. No. Um, Wayne Newton actually posted her bail, which was $13,000. Oh, and she was given five years probation. Uh, she's quoted as saying, if I hadn't gotten caught, it would have been the worst thing that happened to me because I would have died of a drug overdose. So I guess she was fucked up when she did it. She was great. Right. I mean, I know a lot of people who have their saving grace was them right. getting put They're into arrested, jail. Yeah. In, in January of 1992, she was arrested again for forging a prescription for Valium. So she ended up going to jail at that point because she violated her probation yeah. by doing that. She did enter a drug rehab at that time, uh, immediately after getting out of jail, actually. So Dana struggled most of her life. At some point, she did try to kind of capitalize on her fame and, and started doing softcore pornography. She did like... um. She appears nude in several of them, including Prime Suspect as one, Compelling Evidence, and one that was called Different Strokes, The Story of Jack and Jill, dot, 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 and Jill. Wait a minute. That sounds like a porn. <laughs> it is. It's a softcore erotic drama, Rachel. Uh, so, I mean, the, st- the Different Strokes, it had nothing to do with the show. They just used the term Different Strokes to capitalize on Jack her fame. Jack and Jill? Yeah. The Different Strokes, The Story of Jack and Jill and Jill. But they just put different strokes in there. It wasn't okay. like she played. <laughs> I'm going to post stills on our Instagram yes, page we'll find it. from some of these movies. She also, that same year, I think that was 1998, she appeared in a cover story for a lesbian lifestyle magazine called Girlfriends. Do you know this magazine? I don't know this magazine. <laughs> um, we should find this as well. Absolutely. Is she? Was she a lesbian? She actually came out as a lesbian, but then she later recanted. <laughs> Come on, Dana. <laughs> like, what the hell? Come on. Um, at some point around this time, she became engaged to a man named Fred Potts, but they broke up because she returned to drugs again. Um, 
so then on 19, May 7th, 1999, she appeared on the Howard Stern show. Um, it was on this show that she declared that she had been sober for over a decade, which doesn't what? exactly that line, doesn't up, line right? up. Yeah. Uh, and she was a mess on this show. Like, I don't know if we could find audio of it. We might be able to, but she was, she broke down in tears twice. Uh, she if said, I can find the audio, yeah. I'm going to put it in this yeah. episode. So, and she said, no joke. I'm tired of defending my character. I am what I am. What you see is what you get. She she really reveals all in this interview. She discusses her financial problems, her, her run-ins with the law. She admits to being a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, but she says she's adamant that she's been sober for more than 10 years at that point. People started calling. Oh, she did say that she had taken painkillers once for um, molars being removed. That was her one caveat. Uh, people kept calling her and were insulting her about her sobriety. Oh, God. Uh, she was defiant and decided to, she said that she would take a drug test to prove that she was sober. Howard was defending her while the callers were sort of berating her. I was going to ask. Yeah. But she did sound out of it on the show. Uh, She, as I said before, she was practically in tears the whole time. At some point she did say that she would give hairs of her, locks of her hair to send off for testing. So um, on the show, she actually gave them, they took hairs out of while her head they're while they're doing the show. The show. Like Gary Delabonte did that. Um, and she, you know, bragged when he did it that the results would vindicate her. Um, I'm on the edge of my seat. Right. So she said, <laughs> after the show went off the air, she said, I want my hair back. And Howard said, Howard Stern says, that's when I knew she was lying. That's when I knew she must have been on drugs at that moment. So, um, sorry. So after they, so she, he says that she gave us our hair and then she said, no, I want it back. And Gary wouldn't give it back to her. And the whole thing was a big mess after the show. Plato grabbed the hair momentarily and then she returned it again, professing her sobriety. Um, the next day Plato went with her new fiance and was driving back to Colorado when they stopped at her new fiance's mother's home in Moore, Oklahoma. It was Mother's Day, and that's why they were stopping there. Plato went to lie down inside of the motorhome that was outside of the house, and it was there that she died of an overdose of the painkiller Lortab and the muscle relaxant Soma. Mm. Her death was eventually ruled a suicide. How much Somas did she take? I do not know that. Do you know what that drug is? I used to take it. Oh, you did? In high school. It was great. Um, Don't do it, kids. Yeah. Do not do it. I was very fucking trashy and stupid in high school. Uh, But it's like a, I don't know. I think it's an opiate. Okay. It fucking knocks you on your ass. So after, after she died, people were fucking pissed at Howard Stern. For like... They said he right. was being exploitative or Well, they felt like that he drove her to the edge. With that embarrassing that yeah. humiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, he did say, uh, oh, wait, no. You know who actually, the first person who said something was um, Todd Bridges' mom, Blaine wow. Stern, initially. She was like one of the first people. She said, after going to his show, maybe she thought, I need to take a Valium to calm me down because people think I'm on drugs. If you're not taking drugs and they're saying you are and then you're tripping out, she's very sensitive. Stern said he didn't feel any blame. And he said that 
that Plato, other than the crime, <laughs> seemed to be having a good time on the show. Other uh, than the crime. Right. Everything, yeah. I feel like anything, if you yeah. start crying on a TV show, no matter. But I think she was back and forth, but that's very erratic and, and manic, right? But I also think that she could have been crying and then trying to fake right, happiness right, right, right. to be I mean, like, I know I'm exactly normal. that feeling. I do too. Yeah. It's awful. He said, maybe we gave her last, her one last good time. She thanked me afterwards. She was very sweet and nice. We still have her hair. Obviously, we don't have to test it now. We had a lot of deception going on, I think. Uh, Todd Bridges, after words said, I thought something was wrong and I was hoping I was wrong. You could see it on Dana's face that she was hurting and she needed a lot of help. Conrad Bain stated after she died, it's a tragic case. I recall her as a beautiful, talented young girl and that's the way she is in my mind. 11 years after Dana died on May 6, 2010, her son, Tyler Lambert, died at the age of 25 Wow. Uh, from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to that. Uh, he was also a drug addict and alcoholic, and people afterwards said that he wanted to be uh, with his mom. Oh. Yeah. So the conclusion of the curse, I guess, Conrad Bain actually died at the age of 89 in 2013, so that's not anything He wasn't curseful. affected by this. Um, and there's like a lot of talk about these these people. Um, Paul Peterson is an ex-child star and he's sort of like a child star advocate now. Mm-hmm. You'll always see him on any fucking case about child stars. Yeah. He had this to say, there's nothing that you can do to satisfy that satisfies people. They think you're a failure if you don't continue to be a television star. Um, another woman named Lisa Rappaport, who was like a psychology professor at Wayne State University, she said it's really easy to just label things kid like as a curse, like, right. but it's not really, it's really ignoring a lot of things. Like there was a two year study of 75 former child actors. And she said that they found that the kid stars who had good home lives were perfectly fine. And just because just like with any, any life, there are people yeah. who have bad home lives and bad situations. And as we can tell, all of these people did other than Todd Bridges who actually managed to come out of it. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, I think that it's perhaps our perspective is distorted by the fact that every time somebody gets arrested, we hear about it. Yeah. Uh, Bridges, Mary Jo Catlett, who played Pearl, Danny Cooksey, who played the annoying, uh, Danny, um, Sam, the red haired <laughs> Moppet mm-hmm. and Charlotte Ray are the only surviving cast members at this point. Yeah. So that's the story. That's it. <laughs> that I know Charlotte Ray's granddaughter. Oh, you do? She's a very lovely woman. She's um, a woman. She's she's like my age. She's she's a girl. So yeah. Um yeah. That's uh wow. That was de- a lot. That right? was depressing. I know You're the last right. one was the saddest one because the sun, it was just like the oh. epilogue you don't want to fucking hear. <laughs> like <laughs> I just like I mean, it's true. It's like, I don't know. I've never been, I was never a child star. Like, so I don't know what that feels like. I think actually Mara Wilson wrote a really interesting article about breaking down reasons or, uh, I, it's been a couple of years since I read it, but right. it was on cracked. It was a really great article yeah. that she wrote. Cause she obviously has, she's a child star from the nineties. Right. So she has a really good perspective on it. And she, well, I think it's really the family. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting in a way. I don't know because like on one hand, I feel like. 
I mean, I feel like you can still have something bad happen when you have a good family because that happens non-child star too. You could have a good family and still yeah, be an addict. Because the thing about alcoholism and addiction is it doesn't discriminate. Right. It doesn't care what family you had. No. Because there's also plenty of people who had a shitty family life and didn't turn into alcoholics. Right. So I don't know if it's like a perfect storm situation. I mean, I definitely believe also that... Well, you being, definitely have access probably more. You have access and I do believe that there are diff- there are people who like Drew Barrymore who was it seemingly was able to grow out of her addiction where she can right. drink like a normal person now because it's I, also how you handle that not being famous anymore right because it's really taken away from you as a kid very few grow in to become stars yeah and you're either like Amara Wilson who is fine and moves on and has other avenues career avenues that right. she wants to pursue uh I don't know or you are working as a security guard punching people right and being made fun of which is but wanting to move on maybe like there's nothing wrong with no just getting a regular job and being a regular productive member of society but then you still have these people coming after you and you still have tabloids coming after you and no one wants to let you fucking move on i think i thought the todd bridges thing was interesting where he's like once i had been labeled as this it was really hard to move past do you know what I mean? Well, I think the public- I think of him still as that person on trial. Right. Because no one writes about his recovery as much or yeah. his like moving on. Which sucks. Right. And it's it's um also I think the public just doesn't want to break up with that child star. They don't want to break up with that persona. They don't want to accept this child star that entertained them as a kid as a three dimensional human being outside of their character. They want them to be that forever. Right. And they expect that because you had success in the entertainment industry as a kid, you can't just go work at a dry cleaners. It's unacceptable. Or it's right. you're, you're a loser Well, it's now. that schadenfreude, but in a completely unreasonable It's so way. unreasonable. Like, and like, how do you get off and like, hey, <laughs> I just can't. I mean, we talked you, about you it. Yeah. Poor. I mean. It's so low. It's just like it, the lowest thing. It's it like, is the lowest. I can't, but yeah. So yeah, that's it. Wow. Um, that was a lot. Yeah, we got some new Patreon contributors. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I, uh, uh, yeah, stand by for one sec. Let me grab that uh, list of people. Do, do, do. Do, 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 do. I'm actually really excited because we're going to do the um, Patreon bonus episode next, and it's uh, related to one of the special episodes that Different Strokes did. That is like a huge oh my God, influence I'm so in my excited. lifetime. If you, so. haven't, if you haven't donated to our Patreon, this is the week to do it because this <laughs> very special Patreon episode. only episode is going to be fucking lit. My computer's taking forever to load. Do you have any um, true crime scandals you want to share, Des? No, I don't have any right now, but I can... Can you try pull to pull up, up our Patreon that list. contributors? Sure, I will try to do that. We're very disorganized. We both Sorry, we've been going through a lot yeah. this week. I had a very busy Your day. Your Wi-Fi is actually not working, so I can't do it. So we'll just have to get you guys next week. Yeah. We'll get you next week. We'll get you next week, but okay. we love you guys. We love you guys. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.